When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, badly morning to you. Sadly morning, indeed. Mm. Uh, yes. How you doing? How you holding up there, buddy? <laughs> I'm. You know what? I'm kind of more worried about the next five games than absolutely gutted about last night, if that makes sense. Mm. Um. But, you know, it was a bit of a chastening experience, wasn't it, for for Arsenal, for the team, for the manager, for the fans. It, um, it didn't go the way I was hoping, it's Did fair it to say. No, no. <laughs> no, nor I. Yeah. And, I, I, and I, I had kind of made my peace with that to a certain extent before yeah. kickoff. I'd pre-grieved, um, <laughs> to borrow a, a phrase from Roman Roy, but... I, uh, yeah, it was still very chastening. That is the word, bruising. It was uh, unpleasant. And I should say, you might not thank me for saying this, Andrew, you're not obliged to listen to this. If if you found it absolutely miserable and you feel absolutely miserable, do something else. You know, watch a movie, go to the gym, whatever, listen to your favourite song. Because um, sometimes reliving the pain can be too much, but it can also be cathartic. Okay. I'm glad you put that qualifier in there, and I'm sorry to have to overrule you on this, but listening is mandatory. If you've come oh, okay. this far, if you've started it, if you've downloaded it, I'm afraid that listening is you're- now <laughs> you're mandat- <laughs> mandatorily obliged to listen to, to what's to come. No, you're right. You know, I think people will come to this one in their own good time. You know, you're right yeah. as well. People will find it a little bit cathartic to hear us try and make sense of it. Other people will avoid it completely. I get it. So... We will do our best to get to, you know, all the, the bits and bobs of last night. I just wanted to ask you one thing. Mm. Why is Pep Guardiola kneeling down when the opposition have a corner? The most annoying fucking thing in the world. I actually hadn't noticed that. You hadn't. i tell no. you why I noticed. And I, I noticed this and I was trying to figure out why it annoyed me so much. So we get a corner, he complains because, oh, the officials have the temerity to give the opposition a corner, even though it's probably a corner. He still wants to complain and moan about something because that's what he does. And then he hunkers down on one knee and he's, you know, like the thinker in a way. Um, I can think of something else that almost rhymes with thinker, but I, I just find it so annoyingly affected and it reminded me of a a guy i used to hang around with a guy a friend i had when i was younger like 10 or 11 and we'd be out playing as we did back then before the internet when everything was all fields do you remember you just go out and play football it was you know three and in heads and volleys all that kind of stuff all day long you're out 
And he used to do this thing whenever he felt like he needed to go to the toilet. Like if he had to do a number two, <laughs> he would get down on one knee for like 30 seconds and concentrate really hard and then say, that's fine. It's gone back up. Wow. And um, it, it just it may well have been what was happening. It could be. I'm not sure that it, they were nervous, potential excretions, perhaps excited ones from Pep. But that's all I can think of every time I see him doing that kneeling thing when the opposition have a corner is he's just trying to get it back up there. Just edge it back in. Yeah. Wow. Um, well, that's a beautiful image. <laughs> if you weren't, if you were feeling low before, surely that's lifted everyone's spirit. Um, oh. Yeah, I, I I don't know where to begin, really. Team this. lineup, I guess. Team lineup. Mm. Granite Shaka came back in. Mm-hmm. The ghost of Granite Shaka. Yes. Um, there wasn't a great uh, reinvention of our defensive mm. setup. Mm. As as you know, had been debated as a possibility. Um, yeah, I was I was slightly worried about that. I, I spoke about it a bit before the game uh, on our preview pod. I wrote about it in the blog. I did wonder if this was the kind of game where we needed to be a little bit more tactically flexible. And there was the idea, wasn't there, that like by doing nothing, that could be the biggest surprise that there is because normally Arteta does something every time he faces a Pep Guardiola team. I just thought that after shipping three against Southampton, two against Liverpool, two against West Ham, that maybe changing shape would perhaps refocus the team a little bit and, you know, give City something a little bit different to think about. Um, as it was, I'm not saying we played into their hands, but I, you know, I'm, I'm not even being Captain Hindsight here. This was something that I would have liked to have seen. Um, and it didn't happen. And on, you know, on the other hand, I can, I can understand why after playing really well for a period against Liverpool, really well for a period against West Ham, the manager kept faith with the ability of his players to be able to do that. Uh, I just was worried that, well, that would happen. Yes, and Arteta kind of intimated <clears throat> after the game that he that there was stuff that we had prepared that we had tweaked, but that it kind of went out the window when we conceded quite as early as we did. What do you um, think that was? I, I, I didn't. I've got no idea. Yeah, me neither. Like, I, mean, I couldn't tell you from what we saw. Um, I actually think that is sort of one of the key sort of takeaways from this game and may ultimately be one of the key takeaways from this season is that Arsenal have become exceptionally good at doing one thing and we have kind of reveled in that because for a long time we were a team that it seemed like we had to always change it up when we played different games but this season we've really had a very clear identity and we've uh, and a tactical shape and we've you know impressed that upon everyone but I think City have evolved beyond that. Um, they are at a point where they can do many different things mm. very well. And that was critical to them winning this game and ultimately will may well be critical to them winning the league, their capacity to reinvent and adapt their style because they did in this game something, to be fair, pretty similar to what they did in the first game 
I think the first game that uh, at the Emirates informs this one. You know, Arsenal had more of the ball in that game. I think they dominated possession in a way unlike any other team has against City. Yeah, and City's response to that and which which won them the game was to go more direct and. Uh, informed by that first game, they did the same here and mm. really punished us. I mean, you know, they took their two best players, Haaland and De Bruyne, basically put them up top as a pair, hit them early, and we just couldn't live with it. Fucking Rich Bolton. Yeah. I mean, no, I mean, like, that's underplaying it, of course, because, you know, Haaland and De Bruyne are two exceptionally good players. Again, I come back to the idea that this ability of theirs to go direct now rather than well look we saw all of city yesterday we saw what they're like technically um you know they they play in small spaces really well they keep the ball exceptionally well they're uh, first a lot of second balls i think uh, we'll talk about obviously what Mikel Arteta said after the game about our, our inability to compete but you know they also have this other weapon as well and that's kind of why i thought well, if they are going to go long, they're going to stick Holland on holding. Um, they didn't exclusively do that because I think Gabriel had some difficulties with him as well. But I just wondered if the third center half might be a way of offsetting some of that because, you know, you have that that sweeper, if you like. I know it's kind of old-fashioned to think of it in that way, but you've got two two central defenders who, if you've got Haaland and De Bruyne, you can, uh, you know, they can attack the ball and then you've got somebody there to mop up. That's that's kind of what I was thinking with that one. Yeah, a third central defender, a second holding midfielder. Yeah. I think these would have been things that might have helped Arsenal. It's difficult to say, isn't it? I think City playing like they did yesterday could have swept pretty much anybody aside, but... I think with the form that we were in, particularly on the defensive side of the game, we might have been better advised to adapt mm. uh, and be a little bit more conservative. Hindsight is, is twenty twenty there, but um, I, you know, I felt even in the the, the, the opening exchanges, there was, it was quite telling. You know, City's first big chance of the game. It came from, or half chance, shall we say. I think Ben White had the ball in the right back spot, uh, went long, it came straight back. Mm. And, you know, they had that penalty appeal, which ultimately was, uh, we were given a free kick for yes. the foul by De Bruyne on Thomas Partey. And at the position that Ben White was in there was kind of the exact position, it must have been Carl Walker, I think, was in, in the build-up to the first City goal. It just went long out of the right back spot. But... I guess the accuracy of the pass and the, crucially the way that they won those duels uh, under that ball mm. was, you know, dramatically different. And um, yeah, they just took us apart really on that opening goal. Yeah, they did. I mean, the opening goal came when we were pressing high up the pitch, uh, a concerted press high up the pitch as well. Yeah. So go over it. They went over it. <sighs> Harland is... Um... I think we have to acknowledge whatever issues we might have with our central defenders or Rob Holding in particular, I think you have to acknowledge that Harland is a particular beast to play against. And I don't mean that um, pejoratively. I mean, I, you know, he really is an exceptionally 
difficult guy to play against in circumstances like that because he's six foot five. He's as strong as anything. He gets between you and the ball. He times his runs ahead of the central defender exceptionally well. And, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world that Holding didn't win that ball. Um, maybe you should have just smashed through the back of him, but then you run the risk of an early card, of course. Yeah. And then you've got. 85 minutes to play with a yellow card against Holland, who, you know, is, is I think, quite skilled in the dark arts, if you want to call it that. He's good at falling over and he's good at throwing his arms and his elbows around without anyone really talking about it too much, as well as his amazing skill as a goal scorer. But that's neither here nor there. I suppose the thing is, though, is that when Holding goes into that into that space with Holland, you have to make sure that there's somebody there. De Bruyne ran off Thomas Partey way too easily for me in that mm-hmm. situation. Uh, got across Gabriel too easily. I think it's a good finish because it starts so far outside the post and then curls back in. It's one of those where you look at it and think, maybe the goalkeeper should do better, but given what he did between then and the the end of the first half, it feels churlish to talk about Aaron Ramsdale uh, when it comes to that goal, because I think the the defensive frailties or weaknesses were exposed much more than the goalkeeper. I think that's true. I, I had I, when I first saw it, you know, you see any ball go in the near post, and you always look at your goalkeeper in that situation. But when you see how far outside the post he sets it, mm. um, I, I don't really know. I, you know, I don't think many are, are keeping that out. I think you know, we'll come to it with the fourth goal. I think he would feel he probably should have saved that one. But um, yeah. Um, as for Haaland, I mean, it is it is kind of incredible. You know, we we think the Premier League has reached the kind of peak of physical performance, and then someone comes along who seems to take it to another level. I saw a comparison made yesterday between Haaland and uh, Jonah Loma the rugby union player. And I, I genuinely think there's something to that in terms of someone who comes in and sets a new mm. standard of physical uh, aptitude for this sport. And it kind of is demanding that everyone else raise their level. Um, it was Andrew Allen, by the way, on, on the match report well, on Oswald News who Smart made guy. that comparison. So Someone should, uh, should, should, should employ <laughs> that match. Intelligent. But... Um, uh, I, th- I think I think it's apt, and I think we can talk about Rob Holding, uh, and we will, and we should. But I think many centre halves would have struggled in that situation. De Bruyne. I mean, that's the interesting thing. We think of um, Haaland as physical and De Bruyne as technical, but I think last night they both showed they have the other dimension to their game. Mm. Uh, you know, Odegaard is our De Bruyne. And I love watching Martin Odegaard play, but he I'm not sure he can power away from a Gabriel-like centre-half in the way that De Bruyne did. Um, no. That was eye-catching. He's, you know, he's six foot, he's quick, he's strong, and he's that good technically. Um, so I think if you're a City fan, you're looking at that same brilliant goal. I think from a defensive point of view, there was a lot we could have done better. And again, it was that shape of the two centre halves, the defensive fielder in front against their front two. We couldn't live with it. Not at all. And, you know, uh, 44th minute, I was crafting my halftime tweet about how 
Aaron Ramsdale has kept us in this game and the rest of them need to, you know, basically book the fuck up and get with it um, because he did make some extraordinary saves. Um, the, chances- yeah, the one from Harland is very, very good. The one way Harland cuts inside and gets the shot away. Um which one? I mean, there's one right at the end where he saves with his legs and then whacks it clear with his foot as City are coming in on the rebound. Yeah, there was one from Bernardo Silva. It wasn't the you know the, the most difficult save in the world. There was one where I mean, Rob Holding saw Holland and just sort of pointed to where Holland was going to go, and <laughs> yeah. you know that that should be his job. That's you know if you're there and you see him and you know where he's going. That is your job, and he, he fired in a shot from a very tight angle, didn't he? Holland and uh, Ramsdale was was equal to it. I think he uh, there was the there was the break again when De Bruyne went through the middle. A combination of Gabriel and and Ben White blocked that one. Um, That's you know, a good block. It, yeah. it was, but it was it was one way traffic. It was. It was. It was. I, I was thinking as it got to half time, as the same as you, sort of composing my thoughts and my words, and I was like, can it? Can you call it a robbery to be one nil down? Because it, it felt like that. Like mm. it, it was sort of absurd that it was one nil. I'm trying to think if there were any moments at the other end. There was Partey. One, Thomas Partey had a shot from the edge of the box. Mm-hmm. There was one kind of half instance early on when Martinelli got in behind on the right, but it didn't amount yeah. to anything. Um, there was a sack of pullback, wasn't there? But there was nobody in there. There was nobody yes. in the, in the central Smart area. Come over to that side. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it, I, I, you were nevertheless thinking, as bad as this has been, if we can get in at 1-0, yeah. you you're never, always in a game you at never that know, point. Yeah. Um, and you have a chance to adapt and maybe change what you're doing. So it's a killer blow. Mm to concede a second right on, on the stroke of half-time. Yeah, you know you know the way they say 2-0 is the most dangerous scoreline in football? I, As we have proven in I, weeks. I, I didn't feel like that when City went 2-0. I didn't think now they're for it. Yeah. You'll see what happens, <laughs> you fucking you idiots. You, you may think you're comfortable, but <laughs> yeah. this is where the, trouble, the real trouble starts. Um, this goal, I think, look, I want to be very clear. City were by far the better team on the night. Um, they had way more chances than we did, especially in the first half, as we've outlined. Um, you know, to be going in at one nil, given the quality of some of those chances, I think you could say we would have been lucky. But I also feel like we were quite unlucky to go into nil down because I'm I'm sorry, but that's offside. I don't buy the reverse angle of our bullshit that they gave us. The Initial um, stop of play, unless Ben White has the feet of Krusty the Clown, gigantic clown shoes, there's no way he is playing uh, John Stones onside. Um, I, you know, City are too good. They don't need gifts like that. I don't know what you think, but, you know, I'm looking at it. I've watched it again and again and again, and I know they show this replay from behind, but you know that one, you know that video of where they, like, um, move the perspective and it looks like a ball is over the line or not over the line, whatever it is, and then they, you know, move the camera and it shows that he's like, the ball is actually over the line. 
Um, I'm not explaining it very well, but it's a trick of perspective, I think. And I don't believe that um, John Stones was onside. Yeah, I, I, I felt quite aggrieved about it last night, um, partly because I think Ben White is sort of given a shove to even put him in that position to, to is, raise the question. Of isn't there a rule about that? Isn't that part of why the goal against Brentford was so... Why, why Mikel Arteta was so annoyed because there's an actual rule about if a player is pushed or fouled into playing somebody onside, that is something that the officials have to take into account. And that was what the first phase of that move against, you know, for the Brentford goal was. It could have been Gabrielle, I think, that had been fouled. But you can't see that in a still. That's the thing. It just looks like he's running back. Um, and yeah, I, I, it was very frustrating. If I... Look at it rationally and coldly the next day. You know, my basic position is I don't want to see goals ruled out over half a yard or whatever. Like, you know, I, I, I can accept it. I can accept it. Mm. it it's, but, but it was a big moment because any possibility of kind of regrouping and staying in the game mm. really disappeared in that. Yeah. I do want to see goals ruled out for half a yard and a shoulder. <laughs> Genuinely, like if that's what it is, if we're all playing by the same rules, then I want to see those goals ruled out because we've had them ruled out this season. Was it this season or last season when, maybe it was last season, when Martinelli was given offside and they, they couldn't prove it, so they just gave it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, think that, that was, was last season at some point. Um, season on the line. You know, yeah. so I, look, did it affect um, the overall result? I guess we will, uh, you know, if you asked me to put a load of money on, I'd say City would have won the game anyway. I just feel like a minute before halftime and what looks like an obvious offside, you know, you just never know. Um, football yeah. is weird and strange. But Set piece, you know, at the other end, suddenly yeah, it's a game. Exactly, and- exactly. You know, but look, I'm not making excuses for us in any way because we were second best on the night. No two ways about it. But, you know, if people are frustrated with the decision making, I completely understand that. I, I, I'm i with you. And you're right. We were second best in all respects. I mean, it's so interesting City were really good off the ball, really good, I thought, mm. particularly in that first half. Their understanding of shape and space is outstanding. It, it used to be, they used to say, you know, attack uh, wins you games and defence wins you the league. But I, I think the appropriate evolution of that is kind of what you do on the ball can win you games, what you do off the ball can be defining over the course of the season. Because, yeah, I thought off the ball, they were exceptional. And we, I sort of am in two minds about, you know, how good were they and how bad were we? Um, I think I think it was both, ultimately. I think they were very good. That's maybe the best I've seen them play yeah. this season. It's not that I've been watching them particularly closely. I think we were, I think we were poor by our own standards. And I think we got City on a night when they clicked. And when they click, you know, they can hurt any team in the world. They can beat any team in the world. And if you've got any chance of going away to Manchester City and taking anything from the game, you can't be as below par as we were. There's no two ways about that. Mm. You know? I, I so think I think you're right. I think they clicked, but they clicked. It wasn't that they clicked sort of playing uh, 
their most intricate football. You know, they clicked with quite a straightforward, um, direct approach that I think... I think we should have been more aware of going into the game, given what happened in the first match, and should have been able to react to better within the game. That's um, that's a good point. So, you know, we're 2-0 down at half time, and it's a kick in the balls to concede that goal just before half time. So what, what do you do? Do you change something then? You're talking about reacting in game. Half time is a good a good time to regroup and to maybe think about doing something a little bit differently because you know, you can say, okay, we were really bad in that first half. We can't be that bad again in the second half. Let's trust in the players and the system and the process and all that kind of stuff. I get it. But I think you also have to be realistic. You have to say, well, we have been completely outplayed here by a team doing things that we must have expected and we're not able to cope. So how do we cope? How do we make it more solid even you know how do we make sure that if we have a loose moment as we did early in the second half we're not completely and utterly punished to the maximum so like is this the sort of game i'm not trying to find silver linings or anything like it but is this the sort of game that is in the life of Mikel arteta as still a relatively new manager a learning moment where you think okay, I, I made a judgment call there. I thought the players could do better in the second half and literally within seven minutes, we were 3-0 down and whatever slim, slim chance there is to getting anything from it is is completely gone. I think it definitely is a learning moment for him. Um, I mean, I have to say sort of like the, <laughs> the, the, the thing that a lot of people say coming out of this is, well, they've shown what we need to do. To, to get to that level um, if we're going to match or, or beat City. And I have to be honest that like a big part of me thinks, I don't know if, I don't know if that's possible. Yeah. Like, will we pay like the most um, powerful striker in Europe, a million pounds a week? That's all we need to do. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like I, I, I know they showed us where the bar is, but I look around the Premier League and I don't, know if I see anyone immediately equipped to reach that bar um, so I'm sure there are lessons to be learned and I think Arteta will uh, take a lot from this defeat but it's not as simple as well if we simply implement this yeah and that. yeah no I agree but but do you not think as well that maybe you know this is uh, a game where Look, clearly when you lose 4-1 away from home and you're outplayed, some of your shortcomings are exposed. Mm. We all have ideas about how we want to strengthen the squad, how we want to build and develop the team. Games like this, this is the first time I can remember this season that we have been comprehensively outplayed for 90 minutes. It hasn't yeah. happened. It hasn't happened at all. And... When it Weirdly, does, maybe leads away is the only one I can think of. But that but wasn't yeah. even that wasn't even ninety minutes. You know, yeah. I, I'm thinking like from start to finish yeah. for a team to dominate us the way Manchester City did. It it just hasn't happened in in the Premier League anyway. So I I think there is the potential to say, okay, we know what we need to do. This kind of copper fastens some of the ideas that many of us had uh, have about how we how we build a squad going forward. Um, and I, you know. I don't mean to say that we're the only ones who can see it. I'm pretty sure 
that within the club itself, and Mikel Arteta, as he's chatting with Edu and all the rest of it, when they're planning for the summer, they will be well aware of where they need to strengthen and everything else. But a game like last night might just, you know, absolutely um, secure the kind of uh, transfer dealings uh, in the summer that 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 we're already talking about. Mm, yeah, I think that's true. I mean, yeah, as it happened, we were three 0 down shortly after half time. I think there was a one on one before that. Even Harlem went through. Um, maybe was that the one scored. when Gabrielle slipped? Was it? Uh... Yeah, I forget now. I think he went through in the right hand channel. Yeah, that would make sense. Um, and then they get a goal and and sort of eerily reminiscent to me at least of Martin Odegaard conceding possession in the same position against Southampton. Um, mm. Just a moment of sloppiness punished to the maximum again. I mean, I'm watching that, I'm watching that chance of Haaland. One of the defenders, I think it's Diaz, takes the goal kick and just pumps it long. Haaland gets in front of Gabriel, it's too strong and, you know, he goes through on goal and Ramsdale has to make an excellent save. You know, the the inability to cope with Route 1 football, which, you know, you don't necessarily associate with Manchester City. Um, you know, when they can combine that with the technical ability that they have, um, it, it is frightening. I mean, the third goal, I'm sorry, I think Partey is found wanting again. I know Martin Odegaard gives it away, but, you know, we were talking about this a little bit on, on WhatsApp. I mean, the finish between Holding's legs, it's not great defending from Rob Holding. Um, I mean, it's a very confident finish from De Bruyne, who's obviously an amazing player. But, uh, you know, I don't think he should be nutmegged for a goal um, like that as a central defender. Um, Partey didn't look like he could run or couldn't run. No, he goes for the point at that point in time, doesn't he? He sort of points to De Bruyne and run off him rather than staying with him. He was running through treacle then. Yeah, he really was. I don't know if, you know, I don't know if there's a physical issue under underlying there. Well, there must be because you know we've we've you know been managing him all season, haven't we? You know the physio going to to international duty and everything else, but you know he's pointing. I mean, there's not much that you know as he's going through. Um, holding has to go across, but then. I don't think he sets himself well enough for the potential shot, but he has to kind of cover the space and then try and get back on De, on De Bruyne. Um, yeah, I'm just watching back and trying to figure out how we actually give it away there. It's an Odegaard. Just a layoff. He's right foot, doesn't he, I think? Yeah. Um, and uh, it's not his strongest. He's looking for Partey. And they just pick up the loose ball. And again... Mm. That's that straight straight line running from De Bruyne. We just couldn't stay with him. Um, and that, you know, I mean, it seems unnecessary to say it's game over at that point in time because it very much felt like it already. Well, it was. I mean, there's, you know, nobody, nobody watching that game, Arsenal fan or City fan or neutral, really thought that any other possible outcome was going to take place other than a Man City win. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think they they knew it. They took their foot off the gas a little bit, I think. Is that fair to say? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, and I actually think Guardiola probably would have been a bit frustrated about that. You know, there was a tiny bit of sort of 
uh, sloppiness from them and he's so exacting about that kind of thing but um i mean at 3-0 you're very much in control aren't you mm. and we're sort of playing for pride at that point should um, we have had a penalty the holland handball oh mm. i mean i i was looking at that going well i know his arms are by his side but he actually uses his arm to block the ball. Like it. Yeah, perhaps. Like if he stuck his hand out, it'd be handball. Why not if you stick your arm out as he did, even though it's be behind his side or by his sides? I don't know the rule actually. So maybe I'm just desperate and, and stupid, but. I, I, yeah, it's interesting because we started to come back into the game and it was sort of coincided with our substitutes coming on. And I mm. think some of them acquitted themselves very well. But I do think it is difficult to uh, discern if that was just the state of the game at that point in time, I think how much of a part that yeah. played. I think that is a big part of it. Yeah. I think it is. You know. I liked what Trossard did. I thought he looked bright and mm. uh, energetic and, you know, tried to make things happen. Um, and he has done that multiple times uh, off the bench of late. I think that I'm sure we'll talk about what happens moving forward. But he, he yeah, would be. We've got some questions about. He'd be high in my thoughts, for sure. Um, I mean, we made changes. Jorginho came on. Shaka went off. Trossard came on. Martinelli went off. I mean, you know what? What what's been such a key strength for Arsenal this season is the the ability to stretch the opposition by keeping our wide men wide and, you know, moving the ball about the pitch very quickly and stretching them. And, and Martinelli left the pitch after an hour with 11 touches of the ball. Yeah, it's about the regularity of supply to them, getting yeah. the ball to we, them. We just, I mean, I, and I think, you know, as poorly as we played, you have to give City credit for the way that they cut out those supply lines. Saka yeah. was a bit more involved than Martinelli, but, you know, we just couldn't get the ball out to these guys at all. Um, and, and the irony of that is that early on in the game, I really noted that Martinelli, at a time when Arsenal players looked a bit shy or a little bit overawed, to my eyes, he looked really on it. And he was like, you know, making good runs, encouraging those around him. Mm. I thought he looked like a player who was there to play. He looked like he was ready for that stage, but we just never really got to see him. So no. I guess we'll never know. But I, I did, it's funny, you, you learn things about players sometimes in difficult situations. And I thought, despite <laughs> never really seeing the ball, thought his sort of application and his attitude was exemplary. And I think mm. he has the mentality. He is one of the players who absolutely has that mentality to to be at the very, very top. Um, but it wasn't his night. And no. uh, we get a goal back. I mean, nevertheless, see, that shows, right? We get a goal from a set piece and that shows you if you can keep it tight at the back. Yeah. Even if, if you're the second best team, you've always got a, a chance of a threat. Um, if it's 2-1 rather exactly. than 3-1. Yeah, suddenly there's nerves. Suddenly there's a whole different dynamic. Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, <laughs> good finish from Rob Holding. I mean... Good work from Trossard. Good work from Trossard. And a good finish from Rob Holding, uh, who, you know, I think had a difficult night. But um, 
took that chance well. Uh, and actually, 3-1. 3-1 was my prediction going in. I sort of, you know, they, that's what they beat us by in the other game. feels like what they beat us by quite regularly. And um, probably would have flattered us, to be honest. I, I was the fourth goal. Uh, uh, terrible. Yeah, just I, I felt like we were not really alive in the game at that point. No. I felt like we were was, just waiting for the final whistle. Put us yeah. out of our misery. Put the pillow over our heads. Just smother away. Uh, exactly, and and the only person still really playing was Harlan because he hadn't had his goal, and that was the sort of crumb of comfort I was going to take from the game. Mm. And uh, he gets it. It was really bad defending. I mean, look, the thing about it is, it's you know, it had no real impact on the overall story of the game did it city were were um you know miles better deserved the win it adds a little bit of gloss for them um hauling gets another goal blah 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 but you know it's i think arteta will be i think arteta will be unhappy about conceding that because you know games are not just 90 minutes they're 95 or whatever it is and regardless of the scoreline can't be that lax at the back. No, and it's the first time we've been hammered this season. Yeah. You know, four-one is a thrashing, and we've been fortunate enough to not have to live with that this season until now. And um, I will say, although the gulf was evident, I do have a nagging frustration that we never saw Arsenal's best 11 against City in any game. I mm. think there is a time, there was a time, you know, we never played City in the first half of the season when we looked the business and they had not sorted their shit out. Yeah, I mean, that was the the Queen game, wasn't it? Because I had to yeah. move the PSV game and everything else. Yeah, I would have loved to have seen us play City back then. Um, and even a few weeks ago, I mean, even the home game, that, that was fine margins in that one. Mm. Um, I mean, I think if you look at the the Tommy Asu back pass and the finish De Bruyne produced there and the finish he produces, you know, and capitalises on our defending in the, in the first goal here. In fact, De Bruyne across the two games, I think, was arguably the difference. Um, but, you know, we, we made a real fist of that. But again, it was without... Partey, I think, who was out that night. So I, I, I do have some regrets about never seeing the inform, sure. fully fit Arsenal against City. And I think, I think over the course of the season, you know, we have been closer to them than we were last night. Um, I think that's fair. I mean, the, the reality of football, though, is that you don't always get to pick your best eleven in the in the best games. No, and, City, and we needed that. Like, yeah, I, we did. City miraculously. I don't know how they do it, but they've got everybody fit, despite the fact they're playing across multiple competitions. No idea how they've managed to do that. Fair play. Well, even to if their they don't, Andrew, fitness guys, look at the players they're bringing on. Well, I mean, that's it as well, isn't it? The way they were making changes that had no effect whatsoever on their cohesion or their ability to play the game the way they were playing it. It's kind of ridiculous. Phil Foden comes on. He is very annoying. Yeah, he was actually. Ben White wasn't happy with him at all, was he? That was good. I, You know, whatever happened there, I'm in Ben White's corner 
because um, Riyad Mahrez trots on, you know. Alvarez. Julian Alvarez. I mean, our, our subs did well, but you know, God love Reese Nelson and Eddie and Ketia, but it's not the same bringing on an academy player, you know, to you know someone who's like a fully fledged international by this point in Foden or massive money signing in Riyad Mahrez. It drives me mad. I spoke about this in my post-match video when the commentators go, Akanji, what a bargain. You know, they only spent 15 million on him. People say this city projects cost a lot of money, but Akanji wasn't expensive. What about all the other players? <laughs> what about every other player who cost 50 million quid in that squad? Yeah. What about paying a striker basically a million pounds a week? Yeah. Well done that you signed one, one player, player in Akanji yeah. who wasn't 50 million quid. Um, it drives me up the fucking wall. Well, I mean, I think the whole thing about City, and look, the, the, you talk about this after a game like that and people will accuse you of sour grapes, which I get. Well, I've been moaning about City for ages. Yeah, so. but, you know, uh, the idea that, that what they do and how they do it is so rarely framed in the context of, you know, how they've done it, financially how they've done it, and we all know, everyone knows, it's sort of like, well, well, that's what it is. There was a good piece actually by Dion Fanning in the Irish Examiner, you know, where he basically said, if Arsenal don't win the Premier League, it's not because, you know, they've choked or they bottled it or whatever. It's that they basically, I think he called us patsies. We're mm. the patsies to, you know, a project that is essentially impossible to compete with unless you have the similar kind of financial backing and i say that you know as we're owned by a very wealthy billionaire now, that's kind of redundant aren't they all billionaires are, are very wealthy but you know the the reality of trying to deal with how they have skewed the finances of football in a sort of like, oh, look at us, we're just building this incredible footballing group across the globe, and we have this beautiful facade of, of well, I mean, they are extremely well run. You know, the two things can be true, that they are a very, very well run, smartly run football club, but how they're financed and, and some of the some of the ways that they've been able to how do I put this delicately, you know, skirt around the regulations, mm. you know, is, is bend the rules, bend or the rules them, or break the them. Yeah, according, yeah, we, the Premier, we will, you know, that makes it really fucking hard to compete. It's like a guy sticking an engine on his bike in the tour de France and blasting up the fucking Pyrenees or whatever. You know, it's the equivalent of that. While everyone else is peddling, uh, peddling crazily behind with only their, you know, regular performance-enhancing drugs, these guys have got an engine. Yeah, I have to give credit, actually, to Miguel Delaney, who continues to talk about sports washing despite yeah. receiving barrages of abuse online and has banged that drum for a long period and, and wrote last night about, you know, is the Premier League in danger of becoming Liga with one super club that nobody can get close to? I mean, all the other 
fans fans of other big clubs who reveled in Arsenal's demise last night should be equally depressed or more depressed because they are further from City than we are at this precise point in time. You know, Arsenal have done extraordinarily well to make a challenge and a fight of this to this point. And, we, and it's ongoing, you know, there's still yeah. five games to go. Um, yeah, it, it is an uphill battle. It is skewed. It is incredibly difficult. But we have performed in this extraordinary fashion. And, you know, I think it was possible. That's the thing. Yeah. As difficult, as unlikely as it was, it was absolutely possible. And it is still, but it was very much possible for Arsenal to win this league. And as awful and painful and bad as the City game was, it didn't need to matter that much. No, I agree. Um, I agree. But, you know, I think this is, uh, I said this to you last week, I think this is part of our process as we continue to build and develop. You know, mm. making sure that some of the, uh, some of the frailties or whatever you want to call them are, are evolved out of the team or we develop certain things, um, you know, which allow us to be more tactically flexible and, and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I'm not trying to make anyone feel better, but I do think that is is the reality of where we are and, and what we're doing. I think as well, I think until we beat City, you know, it's a real monkey on our back for everything we've done we've broken sure. a lot of hoodoos you know we've beaten liverpool and gone to white Hart lane and won and gone to stanford bridge and won we haven't beaten city and in a race this close i think i think it's possible that those two league games with city weighed very heavily on the manager and the squad if you look at the <laughs> The periods in the run-up to the two City games, I think on both occasions, we went three games without a win heading into City. And the first time, I think it was the FA Cup match at the Etihad, then we lost to Everton and drew with Brentford. All right, there was a VAR call that didn't go our way that day. But I, I felt like the focus... City were a focus puller, basically, that we were mm. already thinking about that game in our minds. And then, you know, we've got it on the horizon again. Anfield, West Ham, Southampton. I just think it's interesting. Maybe it's too big a leap, but I think um, I think we were carrying that. I think we had it in our sights. And until we beat them, I think it will always feel mm. ominous. That's interesting. All right. I suppose if you're looking for a crumb of comfort this morning, it's that the response after the Man City game was really good. Well, yeah, because the pressure and, was off to a certain extent. Well, maybe so. Maybe so. And, you know, there was a school of thought going into this game. Well, you know, we we dropped the points that we did. Now it's kind of a free hit, which, you know, I was never really convinced by, to be perfectly honest. I think if we hadn't dropped the points against uh, West Ham and Southampton, we'd have gone into this game with a little bit more freedom. Whether that would have been evident in our performance, I don't know. But if you've got four more points on the board, it allows you to, um, you know, maybe to have a go at Manchester City in a way uh, that doesn't feel as damaging as and as and when you do it. But I think we, you know, 
we have to remember that there are still five games to go as well. So I don't know yeah. if you want to talk about that now or talk about that in in part two because we probably have maybe some part questions. two because we've you know we've done a fair old part one and uh, I just did want to people. ask you. Sorry, yeah, I just wanted to ask you about very quickly about Mikel Arteta's comments after mm. the game where he spoke about competing. He spoke about jewels and not winning jewels uh, and those kinds of things, which we've heard from him before. Um, he, he's very upset. When you don't win. When you don't ju- win a duel. Jewel. He is very upset. I mean, do you think he was right to be upset that players who, you know, throughout the season have been really good and really solid just, just weren't there. I, you know, joked at the start about the, the ghost of Granit Xhaka, but Granit Xhaka, whether he was 100% fit or not, I don't know. But, you know, that was not um, the best Granit Xhaka performance we've seen this season. Zinchenko, you know, not his best performance. Partey, as we've talked about, not his best performance. Similarly, Odegaard, two central defenders who even if they have between them a couple of flaws, you know, should be able to compete better for those kinds of things. I mean, how do you how do you try and understand that or do you have to do you have to say, look, there are some nights where the momentum shifts very early on in a game and sometimes it just doesn't come back. And it's not for lack of effort, I guess, you know, when you look at the the way the players played, but there are nights when nothing quite goes your way. How do you how do you try and balance that with the need to do better? It's really difficult. I think we came into it on the back foot, you know, three arguably disappointing results. One very disappointing result against Southampton, mm. not defending well. I mean, we've said that for a couple of weeks now, but the goals against Column has really stacked up, hasn't it, over yeah. the past month or so. What is it, nine goals in four games? Something like that. No, maybe more. No, it's three, seven, eleven. Eleven. Yeah, that's pretty brutal. Yeah. Um, so I think, uh, you know, the players didn't go into this with the same level of confidence, in the same level of form. Those things are real. They, they do impact what happens on the pitch. And I think structurally... Uh, there were issues and we, we, Arteta again kind of alluded to this, but I think he spoke about sort of wanting to carry on with what's got us to this point. Um, but I think he should look at himself today and uh, listen, he's had an amazing season. I think he's arguably the manager of the year, whatever happens to the league title in terms of where he's taken Arsenal from where they're expected to be to where they are now. Um, the football we've played, the moments he's brought us as supporters, but I think that the lesson he may learn is that sometimes, sometimes you just got to change it. Mm. And it's funny, you know, like how many times have we said about a City game? I hope he goes and does what we do every week and doesn't tinker too much because it's Pep and he tries to outsmart him. But this was, Pep called it a final and it was a kind of final. And sometimes in a final, you need to play a different game. You know, yeah. remember the FA Cup final 2005. Arsenal were, had a few injuries at the back, had to sit back, ride their luck, grind it out. You know, the FA Cup run that Arteta himself oversaw in 2020. Similar thing of mm. having to cut our cloth accordingly. Um, 
hindsight's twenty twenty, but I think that may have been the right call in the in these circumstances. If Arsenal were flying off a seven game winning run and you know tidy in possession, clean at the back, scoring goals up top, then yeah, I think we could have gone to City and given yeah. them a real game. That wasn't the context yeah. last night, and it was probably. You know, he's been saying after every game, I remember after Liverpool, he said, I want them to focus on that half hour where they were brilliant. And after West Ham, he said that they need to remember how good they were in the first 10 minutes. Mm. And it's felt a little bit like he's just sort of slightly hung on to that and thought, my best hope here is that they resuscitate and that wins out. But maybe we need to look a little bit more at, the other 60, 70 minutes in sure. games and think we're not what we were. We need to be more uh, pragmatic. Yes, I agree with that. Um, okay, let's take a little break here. We're going to come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at Gunnarblog and at Arsblog, also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. Just a quick word to say thank you very much indeed to everybody who got tickets for our live event in Union Chapel Saturday, May 27th, the night before the Wolves game. Who knows what the state of play might be by then? I know we're all down in the dumps, but you never know with football. We have to keep uh, have to keep hoping, I guess, that something crazy and brilliant could happen. But regardless of that, we're looking forward to seeing all of you there. It was a great night last year, James, and uh, I'm sure it's going to be a great night with the Arsenal Vision guys again. Can't wait. And yeah, thank you so much to everyone who's booked tickets. Incredible that it sold out so quickly. So I think... Uh yeah, I, I think whatever happens, there, there'll be a season with an awful lot to discuss that night. That is for sure. Um, the other thing I just want to mention 
uh, right now is that the fundraiser for the Arsenal Foundation has been going on throughout the month of April, and this is probably our last podcast in April because, you know, it's uh, May soon, isn't it? May Bank Holiday Weekend on Monday, and this mm-hmm. Arscast Extra is taking the place of the regular Arscast. Tomorrow we'll probably do something for you over on Patreon, but we did pledge to donate uh, every penny that we made from Patreon this month to the Arsenal Foundation fundraiser. James, you very generously have donated your um, Arse blog wages. Andrew Allen has donated his Arse blog wages as well. We've, you know, rounded up the figure, um, minus, of course, what Patreon and the payment processors take and everything else. So they take a chunk. So I've rounded it back up again. And I'm announcing right now that we are going to give, Arsblog is going to give 50,000 euros to the Arsenal Foundation fundraiser. I don't know what the actual total is right now. I should have a look, shouldn't I? Um, just give it. I mean, it's insane how much money has been raised through this campaign. £367,585. Uh, I'm not sure what the exchange rate is like, but add 50,000 euros to that and it's well over the four hundred thousand pound mark and it's, we could nearly pay erling harland's wages for one week extraordinary no it's about three days about three days <laughs> no it, it is a, um wow that's amazing andrew congratulations and congratulations to elliot and the arsenal vision guys as well for spearheading this i'm very humbled to have played a small part in it but what an extraordinary mm. sum of money that is and I, I think it will make a real like a very 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 real difference to uh the projects that are, the arsenal foundation are are running so yeah fantastic yeah and well done to everybody who gave whatever they could to this because i know yeah. that you know everyone is um everyone can give differently and regardless of whether it was big or small or somewhere in between every single penny that's been raised is going to uh, an incredible cause the work that the arsenal foundation do in, in the Zetari re- uh, refugee camp in jordan is is amazing so thank you to all of you and um yeah, let's... it's amazing, Andrew. I mean, we're we're literally in the UK, like we're in the cost of living crisis, you know. Yeah, and well, same here. Yeah, putting their hands in their pockets uh, and showing their generosity. Uh, it's it's a real testament to the fan base and the community uh, that surrounds this club. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. The the generosity and the willingness to help is off the charts, and um, you know even in difficult times, at difficult moments, people are, are prepared to do that. So again, thank you so much to everybody. And um, let's see what we end up with. There's still a few days of April left. Um, so let's see what we end up with. Um, right. Okay. Shall we do questions? Yes, let's talk about the football again. <laughs> uh, let's do some questions. All right. Uh, here's one from Silent Fox One in the Discord. He said, and you you touched on this in part one. Do you think Trossard deserves a start on Tuesday? And then just sort of a follow up um, 
from Breakthrough, also on the Discord. He said, without wanting to pile in on a poor uh, after a poor performance, the likes of Parties and Chenko Holding have been playing well below their level in recent matches, while Nelson, Trossard, Jorginho have been lively when it introduced to games where we've struggled. Should they, and perhaps Kieran Tierney, be given starts over the next few weeks? Or is Arteta too stuck in his ways to change? I sometimes feel that no matter what a player does, if Arteta has his favourites, he's extremely reluctant to change things up. So it sort of continues on that theme we were talking about towards the end. So one, Trossard for Tuesday. Two, you know, does he need to think very seriously about changing something else as well after this defensive wobble that we've been through in the last four games? Yeah, I I feel that, as I said towards the end of part one, he's almost been... (sighs) you know, doing the chest compressions on this team, trying to get them back into life. And I think that he he did that with City in mind, thinking that his best chance was, can we get plan A working again? Mm. I think with that out the way, there's almost a bit of a clean slate. I think he will uh, clean the whiteboard off a little bit and look yeah. at the problem again. Uh, I think he should. And I think there are a few individuals who are pushing for inclusion. Trossard, for me, is definitely one. He didn't really put a foot wrong as a starter in the team. And we even had questions today about, you know, was it wrong to take him out at the starting eleven? Sure. Uh, when Gabriel Jesus came back. I think, listen, Gabriel Jesus, Jesus came back into the team and did pretty well and scored plenty of goals. Um, but tr- when Trossard's come on, he's been impressive again and I think uh, form is a factor he looks like a guy who is hot right now who is is ready for the opportunity I I would find a place for him in in the team against Chelsea what about you he's so hot right now yeah I I, I would too (laughs) I mean I saw people saying you know is there a correlation between Trossard's absence from the team and these poor results um, I don't think so. I think our issues have been defensive, really. Um, let me just ask you this then, as a, as a, um, as a follow up from uh, Twitter, it's Shivam Naman Sinha, who's at Shivam underscore n underscore Sinha, and apologies if I uh, mispronounce that. Um, he, he was asking about centre-backs as a a transfer priority. But he said, are we over-indexing on Saliba's absence and giving a pass to others who have underperformed in the last few weeks? And I think that's interesting because I do think we have missed William Saliba. No two ways about it. We've missed basically one of, well, until the time that he got injured, the best central defensive partnership in the Premier League was Saliba and Gabriel. So I do think clearly we've missed him. But do you think in the absence of him that we might have expected a bit more from some others? Certainly. And I, I've been pretty consistent saying that some of these defensive issues were creeping in before Saliba got injured. Um, and there are areas of sort of sloppiness and concern that, mm. you know, needed to be addressed whether he was there or not. I think a key word you said there is partnership. I think central defences, defences in general are built on partnerships and the one between Gabriel and Saliba has been exceptional. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Gabriel doesn't look as good without William Saliba next to him. And that's no surprise. Um, 
I think there are other players whose form has dipped. Thomas Partey is certainly one. Uh, I think Zinchenko yeah. has not been at the standard that he set for himself. Um, maybe the same would be true of Ben White as well, you know, just because he was really outstanding in the first half of the season. Uh, I mean, you know, this morning, it feels like you could list a whole lot of players, but I do think the two or three that I've mentioned there are are notable. Um, the, the holding thing is sort of, it's like, I'm sure a lot of people might be tuning in today, sort of hoping's the wrong word, but sort of expecting us to kind of have a go at Rob Holding. But I just don't really see the point. Like Rob Holding is Rob Holding. Like we had this question, right? So <laughs> it's from Sam Shelton on Twitter and they said, whose fault is it for the lack of third choice right back? It's left us short and is an oversight. And I was like, I don't know if that question is a joke or, or not. Like when you're down to your third choice player in any position, and that's what Rob Holding is really, I just can't, you know, I can't sort of, I, I can't be angry at him for being Rob Holding. No, I'm not angry. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I'm not necessarily angry at, at Rob Holding for being Rob Holding. I, I said this to you last week, though. I I think there are things that he could do better. Um, Can he, though? I think he probably can. Like, there were moments yesterday when I didn't know where he was. Mm, that's where, not that's not ideal that's no as a central defender that's not ideal i think he has a tendency to try and contribute in ways that he's not necessarily capable of and thus it leaves him exposed if if play breaks down i think that was true a couple of times yesterday where he's very easily pulled out of position again this goes back to why i was thinking about maybe a back 3 where you know some of those uh, issues of space that are left when a defender gets pulled out. But I... I, I it's I, certainly true that he's always looked more comfortable in a back three. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Uh, uh, you know, but but what I mean uh, withholding, I'm sort of with you in that this is not a new observation. I've said it before. I think the Saliba, Tommy Asu injuries at the same time, that's a double whammy. In, a in the big same way. game. It's, in you the know, same game, Andrew. I know, I know, I know. I know. It's it's sort of ridiculous. I know there's a lot of talk about, well, why did we play Saliba against Sporting? And, you know, I understand. my my Trying my, to win a competition, I guess. Yeah. I mean, my gut feeling, though, is that this is an injury that he picked up against Fulham and that if it flared up against Sporting, it could have flared up against whoever we played in the league next. And the seriousness of this injury is such that, you know, they're talking about structural damage to his back. You know, nobody who... Were you at the Sporting game? I was. Right. Did you see anything happen to him? No. I right. I saw Aaron Ramsdale literally pointing to the managers and pointing at his own back to say Saliba's done his back. Yeah. That's that's it. So you, he, And then he just sort of sat down. Yeah, exactly. So it wasn't like he got a whack against Sporting. This clearly was damage that would have happened one way or the other, whether it was in training or in another game. The, the, the thing that's absolutely fucked us is the fact that Tommy Asu is injured as well. At the yeah. same time, just a freak accident. He slipped on the pitch. His knee took a wobble and bang, his season is over. And I was talking to somebody about this on, on Twitter today and there was a little bit of a debate about, well, you know, are you sure that if 
Tommy Asu is fit, we'd be playing Ben White at centre half because Ben White's played all season at right back. My, you know, I would bet my fucking house on the fact that if Tommy Asu was fit and Saliba had got injured at Premier League level, it would have been Ben White starting at centre half and it would have been Tommy Asu at right back. Well, if it wasn't that, Andrew, it would be the same two players the other way around. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I take the point that Ben White's played right back all year and it's worked for us. He's had a good partnership with Saka. But Tommy is an international centre-back for Japan. So mm. I, I think there's every chance. You know, he he is the next man into that defence. I think it would have been the same as Zinchenko had got injured. Tommy has to be playing there. Yeah. Um, so, and, and to be honest, if Tommy Asu was fit, there are games in this run-in that I think he might have played. He might well have started, even if everyone was fit. Because the manager's shown he really trusts him in some of those situations. Yeah. So it's a double blow. It's, you know, I think, I mean, uh, I, yeah, I, I, all I'm saying is Rob, we came into this season hoping to qualify for the Champions League, right? I don't think having Rob Holding as the fourth, maybe fifth choice centre back in that group was a mistake. I just don't. No, I, there's a certain level of player that exists, uh, uh, you know, uh, in that stratosphere of things. You know, what would have happened if Gabriella got injured? You know, well, that before yeah. before we bought Kivior, for example, we didn't have another left-sided centre-half. Tommy Asu was the guy who, who could have played in there. Yeah. You know, so, we, you know, on, on that basis, nothing we've been lucky, but, you know, the fact is we thought we were – well covered on the right. In January, we brought in somebody to give us cover on the left, and then we got two injuries on the right. No, and, and I and, and I don't think letting Cedric go. I don't think anyone's going to lose their <laughs> sleep over that one. Um, no, but you know we saw him in the run in last season, and, and we saw that it didn't really help us a great deal. Um, uh, just to go back to the Trossard thing, by the way. Sorry, yeah, yeah, start him. He's got to start, I think. He's, he's Where, though? Where would you start him? That's the interesting thing. That is the interesting thing because, you know, Saka Martinelli have been two outstanding players. Um, it depends what he does with the shape. depends what he does with the, the, the defence. I mean, I think as we're looking forward, I think as we're looking to, towards the Chelsea game on, on Tuesday, I don't think we can put out that same back four. And just say, well, get it right tonight, lads. Have you seen Chelsea? Y yeah, but that's kind of <laughs> no. I'm, I'm being facetious. Yeah, what worries me, you know? Yeah, um, I know, I know. Um, and I'm sure they'll bring Aubameyang back into the starting eleven, especially uh, just for sure. pure sort of uh, narrative purposes. And there's Mudrick to think about as well. Mm. I'm sure we'll suddenly remember how to play football. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I had a sort of wild thought just then, which was uh, maybe rest Bukayo Saka <laughs> um, and play Trossard uh, sort of through the middle and Jesus on the right. I don't know. Maybe, but Mikel Arteta never seems inclined to rest Bukayo Saka. No, no. And defensively, I don't know. Um I don't know what he'll do there. How would you change the defence? I mean, again, the only thing I can think of, given the personnel that we have, is is sort of to shift to a 3-4-3. Three, three. Um, 
with White, Gabriel, and one other, whether that's Tierney or Kivior. Um, that then leaves you with, with wingbacks, I know, but, uh, you know, 3-4-3 three, three can be a very attacking formation as well. It's not necessarily, um, you know, we sort of play with three at the back anyway, don't we? You know, when, when you think about it, when you consider where Zinchenko plays or tries mm-hmm. to play in the last couple of weeks, it hasn't really worked out for him. So I just don't, I would not feel confident with that same back four. Um, and I know options are limited, but I think this is the job of a manager to try and either do something which changes the the makeup of that back four, whether it's a back three, or you do something which offers them more protection in front of them. Mm. Yeah, like, I, yeah. I think it's tempting to sit someone in next to Thomas Partey, you know? Um, yeah whether that's Jorginho or whether it's Shaka, uh, just to offer that bit more protection. Yeah. I think that that would be the way I would go. Um, here we go. Let's have another question. We've sort of covered that. We've sort of covered that. We've sort of covered that. Okay. Um, okay. What about this from Pat MCM? Pat says, given that we're the second best team in the country and City are still streets ahead, how do we avoid slipping into complete despondency? Despondency at the state of the game, at the feeling we didn't just lose this title, but probably the the next five or ten are out of our grasp too. Is second actually the best that anyone can hope for against a financially doped state-sponsored juggernaut? Maybe it is, but I don't think you can allow yourself to think like that because at the end of the day it is just 11 versus 11 uh, when it comes down to it I think we've demonstrated right we have demonstrated that it is possible to compete with Manchester City as Arteta said you know we're going toe to toe with them not necessarily last night or not necessarily I mean you could say it in the first game where we dominated possession and and you know I know we lost and everything else but I think we have shown that it is possible and that but for, you know, a few shortcomings, a few mistakes along the way, you know, this could have been, this could be like um, a blueprint in a way of, of how to compete. Like if you think if we had like a little bit more strength up front, maybe if we had a little bit more strength at the back, as we've talked about, you know, we wouldn't be sitting here necessarily saying, well, that's it. It's inevitable, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and I don't mean that to be critical. I just mean to say that, like, we have done exceptionally well this season. And I think it shows that it is possible if you're smart and if you recruit well and if you build a good team and if you get some momentum and belief and confidence, it is possible to to compete with a team like Manchester City. Right now, I guess nobody thinks that it's still uh, realistic to win the title. I don't necessarily think it is. Funny things can happen in football and strange things can happen in football, but um, I don't think it's quite as cut and dried as as the question makes it out. You know? Um, and I, well, you know, we talked about that. Even if it is, yeah. Go on. Even if it is, like, you've got to believe otherwise, right? Otherwise, what are you doing? Yeah, what's the point? Yeah. Um, 
I mean, here, here's one from John Larkin on the Discord. He said, sadly evening or sadly morning. He said, how does Mikel Arteta lift the players after tonight? There's still some big games left and we cannot afford to fall apart as that will be, unfortunately, what uh, what the season is remembered for as we go into the summer. How big a job does Mikel Arteta have now to lift the mood? And look, it's it's unrealistic. It's very unlikely to happen, but it is not impossible that a miracle could transpire over the next five games for us and seven games for Manchester City and all the rest. Like, never say never, all the rest. So how does Arteta put this in a box and get his players ready for the next game and the next? Because we've got like, we've got Chelsea, Brighton, Newcastle. Three really difficult games. And if we're feeling sorry for ourselves in any way, don't like to think about it, you know? Yeah, I mean... We're in a fortunate position that we are um, 19 points. Is that right? Sorry. Uh, no, more than that. 21 points clear of fifth position, right? So the stakes are substantial, but they're not... Um, th- th- there's no risk of sort of complete collapse, really, I don't think. But I think it would be really sad if we ended the season on a whimper given yeah. how far we've come and yeah. what we've produced and the fact that we've got a massive podcast event the night before the last game <laughs> <laughs> so I, I i think you know for, for for that reason alone um no i think they the players owe it to themselves to try and finish on a high and there are as you say hard games coming up mm. i mean you know, the reason that the West Ham and Southampton results were so disappointing is that really we were all looking at St. James's Park or Brighton at home and thinking that might be where we drop points. Um, or Chelsea even, you know, as bad as they've been, mm. they're Chelsea, you know, and it's a London derby and it'll be a challenge. But I also think that we need, we the, re- the reason that we need to turn it around quickly is that, when you look at City's games, if there are fixtures where they're likely to drop points or it's possible that they'll drop points, in my opinion, they come in the final week. So in the final week on Wednesday and Sunday, they go to Brighton and then they go to Brentford. Hmm. And I think they're their two hardest games. Now, they won't be hard if by that point, we've had three successive defeats and they're already champions. Yeah. So we've got to try and take them to that week. I think that's the goal now. We've got to take them to that week and make them work for it. If if we put them in a position where they need to win at Brighton and Brentford and they do it, fair play, right? Yeah. But we we have we have to try and make them make make them do that. Yeah. I mean, that, that has to be the message. That has to be the message that, like, for the players, it's difficult, but it's not gone until it's gone. And you have to keep fighting as a team and as a club, despite the fact that the mood is obviously going to be affected by what's happened in the last little while. Uh, confidence will be hit, all the rest of it. You cannot just sit there and go, well, that's it now. You just can't no. because like the the crazy thing could happen. It could it's, happen. It's not, it, yeah, it's 
minuscule the chances of it, but it's possible. And as long as it's possible, you have to keep fighting. And I think that's got to be the message on the on the on the uh, on the training ground, and like just sheer professional pride as well. There are points to play for, and every point is important, regardless of when it happens in the season and what the context of the game is. You've got to win that game for you know your own professional pride and everything else. And there are scores to settle. You know, mm-hmm. we owe Newcastle something after what happened there last season. Yeah, we owe something. We owe Chelsea something because they're Chelsea. You know, and you should always want to beat Chelsea. Um, there's five games to go, 15 points to play for. Arsenal can still get to 90 points this season. Mm. I know it might feel unlikely given the way we're playing, but if Arsenal get to 90 points this season, they've done something pretty extraordinary. And they that has to be the target. Get to that 90 points. Make City work for it. Make them have to go to Goodison Park four days, five days off, you know, in between two games against Real Madrid to Goodison Park against a Sean Dyche team fighting relegation. Mm. Make them have to go there and earn it. Um, you know, crazy things can happen. West Ham pulled off a surprise against us. They play City in the week. They've got to play Leeds and Everton who are scrapping for their lives. They've got to play Chelsea who God knows what the hell they're going to be. They've got to play Brighton who I think are one of the best teams in this league. A challenge for anyone and they've got to go to Brentford, one of the hardest grounds to go. Anything is possible if we do our job. Mm -hmm. That's all it's got to be and I think that the, the 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 task for the players, you know, the focus narrows. They just need to win these games. And I, and I spoke about the City game hanging over them. I think it has, and I think I think we'll see a better Arsenal on Tuesday night against Chelsea than we have in the last few weeks. Well, I hope so. I hope so. Um, I hope so too. I think it's your question. Is it now? Mm-hmm. Is it now? Um, I just thought I'd do this one because I think it's a different perspective. Zach, who's at ZachGuna23, says, are you guys weirdly not that upset about last night? I'm optimistic for the future and it just made me want to beat them to the title when the time is right. Um, will, you repeat no the question? <laughs> will you repeat the question, please? He said, he said, are you weirdly not that upset about last night? He said, I feel optimistic for the future. And it just made me want to beat into the title when the time is right. Well, I mean, I, I don't think the time is not right now, if that makes sense. No, a lot about this time did feel right. It did feel right. For most of this season, it felt very fucking right. Um, am I ups- You know, like I said to you at the start... I'm a little more concerned about what we do next than feeling completely heartbroken about last night. No. And I, f- I was more heartbroken about, say, the Southampton result. Same. Southampton and West Ham are the ones that I felt most um, upset by. Last night felt like something I've seen before and something that was potentially always capable of happening. Because, you know, when I when I thought about the City game and the days coming up to it, you know, I, I played out all kinds of scenarios like good ones, and also that one, um, because I knew that was within the capability of, of Manchester City. Yeah. 
overall, are you asking me if I feel positive about this team and about where we're going and about our direction of travel and all that kind of stuff? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think there are things to build on. I think there are things we can learn, things we need to do in the transfer market, improvements that we can make internally. Uh, we talked about the manager and, and, and things he can do tactically. But, you know, let's remember, a lot of these players are still quite young. Saka, 21. Martinelli, 21. Jesus is only 25. Ben White, Aaron Ramsdale, uh, Gabriel, William Saliba. You know, these are players who can get better as well. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think this is the peak of what we can be if we do it right. So despite my disappointment about last night and all the rest, I still generally feel pretty positive about, you know, what this club is doing right now and what this team is doing. And I love what they've done this season. I feel part of the reason why I feel upset or sad is that, like, I feel kind of a bit upset and sad for them because they're, you know, I like them. I like them collectively and individually. And I want them to do well for them as well as for us. Yeah, I uh, want it for them. I, I, I still know? do want it for them. You know, I think they've been fantastic. And I spoke about this last night, but you just want the story to have the right ending. Yeah. And it feels heartbreaking if it doesn't. But I, I am in a very warm and optimistic uh, place. I do love the direction of this team. I do believe that Mikel Arteta is a very determined, ruthless guy who will take mm. whatever steps he deems necessary to see progress. I agree. I agree. Um, and I think the idea of progressing from here is really interesting. Sort of touching back on the question about despondency and can we challenge City? And I mean, to be honest, I think in the, I think the City we saw in the first half of the season, pre-World Cup, I think we could have beaten them to the title. I think that Guardiola transformed them in the second half of the season with mm. a tactical change. And, you know, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, we maybe haven't been quite the same since the World Cup. And since the World Cup, they have been more themselves. Much more. Like, I think the difference in their level of performance pre and post World Cup is, is bigger than the difference in ours. Um, and we were all looking at that. Everyone was looking at that City team and saying, well, they've got a mistake in them. You know, they're not winning every game. They look like they're going to drop points. Nobody is saying that now. And I think our level of performance, it's dropped, but it hasn't dropped as much as theirs has improved. But what I was thinking is that, like, in terms of despondency and success and all those things, there is still an awful lot to be hopeful about and optimistic about I think that I think the return of the Champions League is going to feel massive for this club I think it's going to be a huge challenge but I think it's going to be incredibly exciting I think you know winning the Premier League against Man City is incredibly difficult almost impossible Liverpool have managed it and you know a couple of others but We've we've looks like we've pushing them hard. Not, to not do this it. current iteration of Manchester City, like the previous Man Cities, where they had like the money and the decent managers, and you know, I think it's not just the money, is it? It's the money, it's, it's the players, it's, it's the manager, it's the manager. Like the Guardiola it's, City is is a different beast, and like he yeah. annoys the, and fuck the Harlem out of me. City is a different beast. Well, it, well there it, you go. Yeah, they're ticking every box right now, but 
the Premier League, okay, yeah, like that's always going to be hard. Arsenal are going to be playing in three other competitions next season. And I think this season I understood the sort of people's, mm, what's the word, sort of acceptance of us going out of other competitions because the Premier League prize mm. was so alluring. But there are three other pieces of silverware up for grabs, grabs every single year for a team in the Champions League, FA Cup and, and the League Cup as well. And I think the, a big part of the next stage for Arsenal is being a club who don't have to make those sacrifices about let's compete on this front, let's not compete on this front, who can actually say, well, we'll make a go of the league, but if City are going to dominate that, there's three other pieces of silverware that we can put in our trophy cabinet at the end of the season and let's have a squad a group that is big enough and durable enough to give us the best chance of, of doing that as well. Because um, mm. this, you know, it's fantastic to qualify for Europe, but it is trophies that live longest in the memory. And this group, I think they need to be focused on that as the next step for them. They need to start winning things. Sure. If it's not the league this year, they need to be looking at every single competition next year and thinking can we lift a trophy at the end of it? I think that's right. Let's do a couple of quick ones to finish. Uh, we had a, a couple on this. Um, Wexford Gunner says, why are we so bad at throw-ins? I mean, every game we literally throw them away while other teams like City tonight just throw them back to a free man, then build up play. Small thing, but really annoys me. And uh, Raptor says, what do you make of our throw-ins yesterday? I remember two occasions, at least, where Zinchenko more or less just threw the ball right at City players. Do you think those kinds of mistakes come from the pressure or just fatigued players? And there was one moment, actually, where City threw the ball in field about 40 yards to De Bruyne. He just picked it up and went on. I nearly jumped out of my chair at that point. That was very annoying. Did but they score off? Was off? Was the fourth goal? From yeah, the it was from one of our throw-ins. Uh, Zinchenko threw it to Jorginho, who cushioned it back to him. Zinchenko just hoofed it up the field. It came back, and then after that, the defending was was really weak. So it wasn't necessarily that we we threw the ball away, but. You know, even at that point, City were were pressing us high in our half, and and we you know we didn't deal well enough. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why we're so bad at them. We've got a set-piece coach and presumably it's part of his remit. Uh, we shouldn't be. It's They are difficult situations, throw-ins, I think, for the team in possession. There's a reason that teams are happy to sort of boot it into touch, you know, if you're deep in your own territory. Because actually getting out from a throw-in is very difficult. But, you know, we need to do it. Um, we need to be a bit quicker, I think, at times. And, and definitely we don't need to throw the ball directly to the opposition the way that Sinchenko did, uh, you know, at least once yesterday. I think that, yeah, as we said, like in stoppage time, I think we were sort of out of the game by that point. We'd no, this, this was... Um, but they did, it happened earlier as yeah, well. It yeah, it happened earlier. Um, and I don't think it's fatigue or pressure. You know, I don't think you can realistically explain doing that beyond just carelessness and sloppiness. Yeah. Um, so I, I think carelessness is exactly the word. Um, can we just do this one? Because we had a yeah. chat about Emil Smith-Rowe, uh, the lesser-spotted Emil Smith-Rowe uh, last week. And Tristan on the Discord said, Gents, I know there was a bit of an ESR discussion last pod, but thoughts on him coming on when we were getting battered? felt a bit cruel to me. What did you make of that change? 
I was glad to see him. Yeah, same, yeah. Um, I think given the way that Martin Odegaard played, not at his best, then I understood the change. Um, I know the context of the game was not great, but I think you said it the other day, and you know it sort of resonated with me a little bit, that maybe what Mikel Arteta is doing is, is sort of challenging Emile Smith-Rowe. Um, and maybe this is part of the challenge. Um, you know, go on and the circumstances aren't ideal. What can you do? What can you influence in this game, if anything at all? I don't know that he did. I'm not uh, criticizing him for that by any means because it's his first minutes in, you know, a long time and we're three nil down against Manchester City. You know, he's not coming on to turn that game around like... No. Maradona or something uh, but I was just glad to see him and I hope that as we go forward into these next five games the manager is open to using him and others in the squad because I think we need them yeah I was pleased to see him I, I to be honest I felt like maybe the change was a consequence of the, the fact the game was sort of gone um, and it was an opportunity to give him some minutes which he's not had um, obviously it was difficult circumstances but yeah, I hope we see a bit more of him between now and the end of the season uh, because he's a player I really like. Yeah. Okay, let's do this one for the final one. It comes from Noel McGovern, who's at Noel Mickady on Twitter. He said, you are guaranteed to sign Rice and Caicedo in the summer, but two midfielders must leave the club for them to join. Who are you going to sell? Two midfielders who are currently with the squad, not someone who's out on loan or something yeah. like that. Rice and Caicedo. That's the big. Uh, that's the. That's this summer's uh, James Madison versus Martin Odegaard, isn't it? It's like uh, yeah. Which side are you on? Uh, choose your weapon, Ben White or William Saliba. They got both in the end. <laughs> um, I think. I think I think the question's sort of a bit of a leading question. I feel like they want me to say Partey and Shaka, um, but I, I'm not going to. <laughs> uh, I mean, can I say like Jorginho and El Nenny? Can I say that? I think you can. I mean, well, that's what I would do then. I, I, I think uh, I think they're both really good players. I watched the FA Cup semi final. Like I said, it was really good. Declan Rice seems to be absolutely tearing it up at West Ham in the last few weeks, um, scoring goals and all sorts. Just in time to put his price up. Well, yeah. I mean, I do think he, he played against us like a man who was sort of uh, trying to make a bit of a point um, to make Arteta. I, I, I'm a little bit dubious as to whether Arsenal could get both, but... That would be lovely. I'd, would be nice. I'd be, I'd be over the moon with that. I, mm. I think they're both really good players. Um, who would you? Is there anyone? I mean, I, think, uh, I mean, is there anyone else you would sell from the midfield contingent? On paper, you know, it's El Nenny and Jorginho would be the two. Yeah, I maybe would think about party. Mm -hmm. Maybe would think about selling party. Um, just yeah. Well, he's an interesting point. He's 29, he'll be 30 in the summer. Can you get and something for him at this point? And, I, and I think his contract, what would his contract be? 
last year, I guess. Twenty twenty-five. No, I think he's got two years. Two years. Okay. I, I, I'm not sure he will get. I'd be quite surprised if he got a new deal. I think that he might be one that sort of they let that go quite late. That contract. Um, mm. Maybe the two years out is the is the time to sell if there's a buyer. So. Maybe it's yeah. I, I don't want to have too much recency bias because you know he he has been very good at times this season. But mm. it's in, it's certainly interesting that we're linked with players in his position for a lot of money. For sure, for sure. Okay. Well, look, we'll see how it all plays out. We do have more important things to worry about uh, in the coming weeks. Of course, we've got five more games. Manchester City have got seven more games in the Premier League as well as Champions League semi-finals. Pray to whichever gods you believe in or don't believe in, hamstrings, um, you know, all kinds of groin strains and ankle sprains and all those sorts of things uh, afflicting Manchester City. You know, nothing too serious, but something. Um, Listen, let's make a fight of it. Like, that's what we've done all season long. We've made a contest of a league that nobody thought could be a contest. Right now... Not many people think there is a contest. Come on, I'd love it. Let's just let's just make them work really hard for it and and show how good you know we can be. I know that we're not at our best, but if we go and beat Chelsea, it'll just give everyone a massive lift um, ahead of mm. a huge game. Is it Newcastle after that? Yeah. So yeah, come on. I I, I really don't want to see this fizzle out. And those home fans have made, away fans were brilliant last night as well, but the home fans have made the Emirates such a brilliant um, place to watch football this season. I really, really hope it can feel like that again on Tuesday. No, I agree. I, I hope I hope so too, because, you know, it has been amazing and it feels over, but it's not necessarily over. Um, so I think that has to be the mindset for the players, for the manager, for the staff, but also for the fans. And I'm sure that will be the case uh, when the Emirates is packed on on Tuesday night against Chelsea. So look, we'll preview that po- uh, that game for you rather uh, over on Patreon at some point, uh, probably over the weekend, maybe on Monday. I don't quite know. For now, we will leave it there. As ever, thank you very much indeed for being with us. Hopefully, you didn't turn off right at the very start uh, when James told you to. <laughs> Three people who listened beyond that point. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed it. And we'll catch all three of you on the next one. Until then, folks, cheers. Bye-bye.